Thank you, Dell. What a good story, huh? What a great way to kick off Thanksgiving week, to just uh, be energized and inspired and excited around um, somebody who just listens to God, somebody whose heart is generous and open to what God wants to do. Today we're wrapping up this series called Be Rich, and it uh, reminds me again, uh, just this whole series, why I love being a part of this church, because you are an amazingly generous church. Uh, we have together throughout this series been able to knock out of the park each and every one of the goals and the challenges that we've set out there. The very first week, you'll remember, we talked about, hey, let's serve our community through these different nonprofit uh, ministries and, and centers and, and Evergreen Elementary School, and uh, 130 of you signed up to do that. That exceeded the goal that we had. The very next week, put out this huge goal of $20,000 to, hey, let's give all of it away, make sure every penny of it goes outside the church and blesses our city, and you gave $20,000. And so uh, through that, we're going to be able to help those seven various projects that we talked about. Uh, I didn't list all of them, but we're going to be able to sponsor a room at the Union Gospel Mission Women and Children's Crisis Shelter. We're going to be able to assist the ongoing efforts of Sir Spokane with food and clothing distribution. We're going to provide materials for a new entry that they'll be able to build within the building. Uh, of Serve Spokane to be able to better care for those that they're serving. We'll be able to help with Second Harvest Food Bank in their Bite to Go program, uh, providing another 20 children with four meals on the weekends all throughout the year uh, at Evergreen Elementary School. We'll be able to help Truth Ministries purchase a new freezer uh, for uh, their efforts in serving the homeless men in downtown Spokane. We'll be able to help Project ID, uh, which is a outreach ministry uh, for those that have special needs and intellectual disabilities. We'll be able to help partner with uh, Partners International, which is a global ministry, uh, and we'll be able to help set up a library in a village in the Aceh Prince, uh, province of Indonesia where we're supporting church planters there. And as they provide this library service, which the government doesn't do to help kids have a place to go and learn how to read and, and enjoy books. Um, it also gives them an opportunity to, to uh, build relationships in a predominantly Muslim country. Those are the things that we'll be able to do. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? I love that. And this last weekend, this last weekend we talked about serving and ministering and discipling and loving our kids. and. Uh, said we needed 36 people to help with that, and 37 of you signed up for that. That's the kind of heart, I guess, this place has. And uh, so if you're visiting today and you're a little concerned because the pastor's talking about money and stuff, I want you to just relax. No one's going to shake you down or anything. It's just that you get to be a part of a very generous church that is wanting and trying to make a difference in our world and make a difference in our, in our city and uh, I love that, and I'm thankful to be a part of a church like that. See, the vast majority of us in the room uh, are probably better off than our parents were at our same age. And, uh, 
you know, we're probably a lot richer than we think we are. And that's kind of the context of this whole thing. Nobody thinks they're rich, I get that, because rich is kind of a perspective. It's not an amount of money. Rich is whoever's two times richer than you, right? And, and so we don't tend to think of ourselves that way, so we skip over pretty quickly those passages in the Bible that speak to people who are well-resourced and people that are rich. But first of all, Jesus said this about our richness. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He said, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. You see, we're all spiritually rich. If you've accepted Christ, then his, his, what he did on the cross, laying his life down for you and me, paying the penalty of our sin, we automatically inherit a richness that none of us can ever repay because of the goodness of God. But beyond our spiritual richness, most of us in, in America are economically better off than the rest of the world. Matter of fact, most in this room are in the top 1% of the world because all you have to do to fit that qualification is, is make uh, $34,000. See, we have, when we think of our problems and our struggles, a lot of them are kind of rich people problems. I mean, I know, I know we don't like to think of that, but uh, again, being rich is a perspective. It reminds me of a, a couple perspective adjustments I received when we lived in Costa Rica. We had moved, now I'm not talking about the Costa Rica that you read about in brochures that you go down and swim the tur with the turtles and stuff. We actually went and lived in San Jose, a city of a million peoples. We sold everything we owned, limited it down to 20 boxes of stuff, moved down there, did mission work, worked uh, amongst some of the poorer neighborhoods in the area. We lived just in the center of, of uh, San Jose amongst the uh, internationals that, or amongst the, the, the people who were native born there the Ticos and the Ticas. And uh, so as we were there, we we're reaching out to a, a particularly uh, poor barrio called Indiana Lodi. And as we were there, uh, and of course, these are, these are sheds that people are living in. You know, they're crowding eight, nine, 10, 12 people in a little one room thing with like cardboard on one side and a tarp on another and some steel siding on another if they're lucky and dirt floors. And we went inside of this, uh, of this uh, particular large family and uh, we're talking and building relationship and through that I was trying to compliment something, you know, awkward moment in a place that I'm not used to. And, uh, and so I saw this rocking chair, this little tiny rocking chair that fit like a three or four year old and it was handmade. It had this beautiful sheepskin on it. It was like the nicest thing in their entire house. And so I commented on it. I said, what a pretty rocking chair. And uh, they said, oh yeah, you want to see it? So they pulled it down and they, they, sh they set it up and they they had one of our kids sit in it, and they go, oh, it fits in perfect. They're like, we want to give you this rocking chair. We're like, no way. No way. I'm thinking, I'm not taking the nicest thing in your house, you know. And uh, they said, no, someone made it for us, and, uh, and we just want to give it away to you. And I keep trying to talk them out of it, but they insisted. And so we ended up leaving this poor barrio with, like, one of the nicest things there. Do you think how that made me feel? like a complete heel. And what, what was ironic about it is that here we are going in thinking we're serving the poor and what I discovered is how poor I was because I wouldn't have given it away. And so it's perspective, isn't it? 
I think of another story while I was down there, while we were down there as a family, we had a maid by the name of Isabelina. And you're thinking, a maid, whoa, cool. And it's like, well, no, you need to if you're an American, because if you don't, you're not helping the economy and you're not providing employment for someone who you literally pay about $10 a week for this particular service. And so she would come to our house and she would mop and clean and do some things. And then she would go home and she actually had another person she would go and clean for as well before she would go home. She worked for us for like a year. I finally, dis we made a relationship with her and I thought, I wanna go to your house and see your house. So we went to her house. It was an hour away, and uh, she lived down into this steep canyon. And at the bottom, she actually had a fairly decent place. It was like a wood, wood home. It had, uh, it had a front door. It had windows. She had a nice little yard. But the thing that struck me was how much effort she, she uh, put into just coming to our house. She had to hike up the steep bank that was over a mile long. And then she would walk to the bus stop, and she would take a bus downtown and to our house, which was an hour from her house. And then from the bus stop, she would walk to our house, and then she would work for us in the morning, and then she would go to another family, work to them in the afternoon, and then she would do the same thing and go back the next day. She had to wake up every morning at 4 a.m. in order to do this. Now, most of us don't have those kinds of problems, right? I mean, we're upset and we feel like we have a big problem when one of our two cars is in the shop, right? Or, or one of our big problems is I have too many hangers for all of my clothing, or I'm not getting good cell phone service, you know, and I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to have to switch companies or something, uh, you know, or, or my SUV doesn't have heated seats or one of the seats that was heated is now broken and poor me. You know, I mean, don't we have kind of these rich people problems or my favorite is, you know, I have I ripped my pair of jeans. Now I have to go buy a new pair of ripped jeans. I just think it's <laughs> it's really interesting, the perspective that we have. And so when one of those kinds of problems hit your life, why don't you just whisper to yourself? Yeah, rich people problems, you know, not really the problems of the rest of the world. Now today, we're going to come to the end of this particular passage that we've been looking at in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, where Paul was, was schooling Timothy, his, his mentee, and he's saying, hey, as you talk to rich people, as you talk to people that are well-resourced, here's what you need to instruct them around. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. In other words, when we have wealth, when we have resource, there's this natural migration of our hope that goes away from God to our stuff. And he's saying, don't let that happen. It's not wrong to be well off. It's not wrong to be well resourced. It's not wrong to be rich. What he's saying is, is be good at it. Know the dangers of it. Reel it in and be good at what? He says, command them to be good, uh, them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And so that's what we've been talking about. And then he lands the plane with verse 19. He says, in this way, they, that's you and me, will lay up treasure for themselves. To which, if you're reading this, you say, well, what do you mean? They'll lay up treasures for themselves. But we're talking about sharing with people and giving and being generous. I'm giving my treasure away. How can I end up with more myself? And Paul says, but you can. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves 
as a firm foundation for the coming age. And suddenly Paul shifts gears with this particular verse 19, and he shifts our focus from this present world and from the here and now, and to even just helping people right now in their distress, to something that's happening in eternity, a difference that we make in eternity. See, all of your stuff, all of your stuff is really just a tool to be used by God. Our, our stuff, our possessions, our material, and our time are tools and tests to see who we really believe in and, and how we really look at this life. He's saying, don't lay up, Jesus said this, don't lay up treasure the here and now that will rust, decay, thieves break in and steal. He said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven that will last for eternity. Now, I'm not gonna try and get into all the theology of what does that look like, what does that mean? All I know is it's good. It has to do with how I live my life. Now plays into my eternity. It plays into where I will, where, what I will do and how God will bless me and the rewards that will be there and the people I will, will see because of, of the generosity of our lives that there's treasure in heaven Jesus was clear. He said, look, if you'll view your wealth, if you'll view your wealth through the lens of eternity, you will lose your grip on it and it will lose its grip on you. It's one of the ways that we get good at this thing. And there's something awesome, though, when a whole community of faith, like a church, will team up together like we have done in these past four weeks. And we, we're able to see that we're bigger than something, bigger than just ourselves. We're doing something more important than just our individual lives, that as we team up together, we're able to care for widows and orphans. We're able to visit those in prison. We're able to serve those in distress. And we bring a message of hope. It's not just any old nonprofit, right? There's wonderful causes in the world, and I support many of them. But the church, make no mistake, the church has a message that can change lives. It changes and transforms the very nature of a human being because of the Spirit of God infusing that person, forgiving that person, empowering that person, helping us want to serve others in a new way. You see, we love boldly, we live boldly, we tell others about Jesus boldly. And when a church is healthy, when a church is doing right, when I say healthy, I don't mean perfect, because we're imperfect. But when a church teams up together and serves without agenda, it's something powerful released in our society. It's something powerful released in our city and in our world. And when I look around the world and I see all the evil that's there and I see governments scrambling around trying to fix problems, I don't know about you, but I come to the conclusion that until the human heart changes, that programs that patch up the outside will never fix the human condition. That we need Jesus and what he does in our lives. And that's the message of the church. There's no organization like it on the planet. The local church is the hope of the world. And that's why the apostle Paul said in his letters over and over to support the work of God through the church. I love giving to the church. I love giving to it, not because I'm guilted. I, I mean, I've been doing it since I, you, some of you are probably sitting there going, of course, you're the pastor. You get paid from the church salary. You know? It's like, no, I've been supporting 
my local church from the time I was in college. And I did that joyfully and gladly. And then when I went into business, I did it as a businessman. I did it as a business owner as I opened up businesses. I love supporting the local church. And I still do it today as well. But I believe that there's something powerful that happens as we support a local church that we believe is doing a good work in our society, in our community, and around the world, that we team up together, and as we team up together, something powerful happens. And here's the deal, friends. You are North Church, each of you, only you. It's financial future and it's ministry future. It is in your hands. So look around the room. And that's not bad news, that's actually good news because as each of us consider this a place where we're being spiritually fed, spiritually encouraged, and we realize that as we team up together we can make a big difference in our city and in our world, then we participate in the financial picture of the church. And then the future of North Church is a great future. When the local church wins, and I'm not just talking about this one, I'm talking about all of them around our community. And every local church that puts Jesus at the center and, and is seeking after health in their church and is an outreach-oriented church, I mean, all those churches need people, a part of them, that are committed to the mission of the church because when the church wins, society wins. And we all have, we all have a plan. Uh, Scott talked about this last week. We have, a, hopefully, a spending plan. Um, we have a savings plan. Uh, but I want to talk to you briefly about having a giving plan, being, being what I would call a 3P giver, not a 3S giver. Let me explain. Uh, a 3S giver is going to be spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. That's not how I want you to give. See, a 3S giver is spontaneous. That means that you, know, you respond when someone approaches you. You respond when you're at the grocery store checkout and you feel guilty and people are in line and they say, hey, do you want to give a dollar to the children in need? And you go, oh, okay. That's spontaneous, right? And, and, and it's, it's typically when you're moved emotionally, you see the puppy and the, the hurting kitten and you're like, yes, I got I gotta do something. But God wants us to be beyond just spontaneous and emotional like that. Or sporadic, just here and there. Whenever, you know, I'll give a dollar here and ten dollars there and a hundred there. And, and then I, I fool myself into thinking I'm a really generous person. Or maybe it's sparing. But God wants us to be not a 3S giver, but a 3P giver. And let me explain the difference. A 3P giver, number one, is a priority. The first P is priority. The second is percentage. And the third one is progressive. And so what's, what's it mean? To, what does it look like to put my giving in a plan where there's a priority to give to God first? Where we give to him our very first and our very best, um, which is what the scripture teaches. But a lot of us have a hard time doing that, right? We tend to give God our leftovers. We pay everybody and everything else first. And then if there's any left at the very end, then we'll give God a little offering. And uh, you know, it reminds me of the time we were kind of hurting on money. We were gonna have company over for dinner the next night and Tisa made this great like green bean casserole. And there was a lot of it left. And so I was looking in the refrigerator going, what are we gonna make? What are we gonna do? We have these people coming over from church to dinner and, 
And so I, I, I tried to convince her of this game plan. We go out and buy hamburgers, you know, main course, and then we just add to it the green bean casserole that she had made. You know, that was in the refrigerator. It looked perfectly good to me. It tasted great the, the day we ate it. And she looked at me, and I don't know what, why she, but she just, she didn't see like, this is great food to serve our company. She saw a very cheap man trying to pull one over on the company. And I won't even tell you which one of you it was that was coming over. So from now on, I've learned we always buy new food when company's coming over. You don't serve the leftovers. So why is it, though, that we, we, we think nothing of it to give God our leftovers? You know, we pay everything else and give to ourselves, and we do all this stuff. And then at the very end, after we've eaten off of that income for however long, if there's anything left, we throw a little offering God's way. That's not what it means to be priority. Priority is right off of the top. The very first thing before anybody else gets anything is we worship God with a, with a portion of what he's given to us. The second P is this, percentage. And that just simply means that we pre-decide an amount that's related to our income that we give to God. You, what, what tends to happen is when we don't have a percentage, we either give a little bit and we feel bad about that, or maybe if you're really uh, well off and you have a strong, large income, you cut a big check and the dollar amount looks big. And so you're impressed with yourself and you think, ah, they ought to be really happy with this. But it didn't even cost you anything. It wasn't even a sacrifice. A percentage kind of levels the playing field and it also gives us a planned amount that we're able to participate in on a regular basis. Now what uh, my wife and I do is we tithe. That's, a 10, that's 10%. And, uh, and we just do that right off the top and we do that before we pay anybody else, do anything else, and we just live off of the 90% that God has blessed us with. And, uh, and we give that directly to the local church, to this church, because it's the church we belong, we participate, we're in community with, it's the church where I'm being fed. This is where uh, we give that 10% right off the top. And for those of you who are math challenged, you're like, what's 10%? Well, 10% is like $1 off of 10, or it's $10 off of 100. That's what 10% is. And uh, if that sounds like Mount Everest to you, like, I could never do that, start somewhere. Put a percentage in your, in your budget that's a stretch for your faith and, 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 and put it right at the very top. So whatever that is for you, four, five, six percent, just start somewhere. And then progressively, and that's the third P, progressively increase that. Because here's the deal. The tithe is not like the magic potion, you know. The tithe is a starting place. The tithe is a goal. It's a principle. It's not the place where I camp the rest of my life. And so for those of you who tithe, I want to challenge you. Don't stop there. Let God continue to stretch your heart and to increase that portion as he blesses you. And then the cool thing is, is what, what we do above the tithe is that we, we take the percentages that we're giving above the tithe and we're able to direct that out to missions and we're able to serve the poor and participate in four or five different causes in our city and nonprofits we love and believe in. And so it's going above and beyond just 
the giving of a tithe. It's being progressive. And so year by year, we pray and we ask God, Lord, it's all yours anyways. I'm not taking any of it with me. Lord, what do you want to do with your money? And so we try to increase a percent every year. So let me wrap everything up here, okay? The money that you give away, you'll never miss. You know the money you miss? The money you miss is the money you spend. You miss the money you poorly invest. You miss the money you loan to your brother-in-law, okay? You'll never miss the money that you give out of a generous and joyful heart and a spirit as you give to God because you know that that is something that God is going to use and he's going to do something eternal with it. So how do you be rich? Well, first, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Just realize, and I'm realizing um, that I'm nowhere near as rich as I sometimes think I am, especially when I'm confronted with generosity. I, I, I don't know about you, but I got goosebumps when I watched Dell and the video that he did and just the giving of an $80 tip. God, help me become that kind of person. I want to be that generous. I have to be really honest with you. I don't think I am that generous, but I want to be. And so I want to keep growing in this grace of giving by not being arrogant. And it's a game changer um, when we move in generosity like that. And so let me give you the four kind of lessons over these four weeks. The week number one, we said you do good for those who can't or won't do good for you. That's how to be rich. That's how to be good at it. You do for those who can't or won't do anything for you in return. It's not scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. No, it's just, it's just without strings. Number two, you don't place your hope in riches because what happens is our hope begins to migrate. The more we have, the more we're blessed with. What happens, it's unintentional, but our hope begins to migrate to our savings account, to our retirement, to our stuff, to our home, to our, instead of placed firmly in God. Lesson number three from week three, last week, since you have more, do more. Do more and give more. And have a plan. Be intentional. Don't just let it happen and then at the end of the year you discover what you did. Make a plan in advance. And then lastly from this week, the viewing your wealth through the lens of eternity loosens our grip on it and its grip, its grip on us. So let's do that. Let's do that as a church family. Let's continue what we started four weeks ago and let's just, we're going to move into Advent next week. We're not going to continue in this, in, in this vein of topic. But let's just do it from the heart. Let's team up together all year long. Can you imagine what would happen across our country if churches would do that? Do what we've been doing in these last four weeks? What kind of change would happen in our society? What kind of needs would be served? It would revolutionize communities and families and everything because generosity is irresistible. That kind of generosity, it tears down walls. It's an invitation to meet the God who's been so good to us. We can never repay him. You can never outgive God. And so as we, as we um, 
conclude this. Let me just reread this passage I read to you. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have done amazing things in our lives, that you gave your one and only son. And Lord, certainly, you're not asking that of us, but you are asking us to lay our lives down, to serve and to give and to love and to let it pour out of this place as a wellspring to water thirsty souls and to care for people in distress and to see the gospel preached around the world. Lord, let that happen through us. Help us keep growing in this grace of giving. And Lord, we just wanna pause and say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you for the blessings you have put in my life. Thank you, God, for the material things that are there. Thank you, God, for the income. Thank you, God, for friendship and relationship, for family. Thank you, God, for every gift that you have given. Lord, it has come from your hand. And we love you and we honor you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.